0: All right, good morning. My name is David Hershey. I am, my family and I love being a part of Coinos. We're involved in a variety of things. Uh, I work over at Penn State Berks in Christian campus ministry. And I am a three-dimensional being. I take up space. Have you ever thought about the fact that you take up space too? Have you ever thought about dimensions or time or time travel, parallel universes, the multiverse, things like that, because there's some really good YouTube videos you can look up. Maybe later, or if you get bored, that's fine, you can do it here. But uh, it's fascinating to think about just what it's like to live in the universe. And one of the things that I find interesting, there's a book I read a number of years ago called Flatland, that really, some of you may have heard of it, there's actually a little movie, I guess, that schools might use for education that tells the story of a universe that is only two dimensions, kind of like my coin bulletin here. And the beings that live in this universe can move side to side and the other direct side to side, but they can't go up because there is no up. That's, that's two dimensions, one way, the other way. There's no up. And in the story, a being from the third dimension reveals himself and speaks to one of the squares or triangles living in Flatland and tries to explain what up is, what space is, what a cube is, what it's like to live in the third dimension. But of course, when this being comes into the universe, all that appears is a line. Because if a three-dimensional object passes through a two-dimensional universe... It appears as a line or a dot, so there's no understanding, or at least it was very difficult for the squares and cubes to understand. So in the same way, we're all moving through time. We all have a past. We have a future. But what would it be like if there was a being that somehow could experience that was above or beyond our multiverse, our universe, that could experience... Our past and our present and our future simultaneously at one moment. And again, this is some really, what I, I watched some videos this week thinking about this, and it got really kind of fascinating and confusing and weird because I guess, like, physicists or scientists, some of them believe there's actually 11 dimensions to reality. And think of it this way like, you all made the choice to be here this morning. So, Let's say you made a different choice. Let's say you chose to go to Starbucks and get a cup of coffee instead. Thank you for not doing that. If you had done that, that would be like an alternate reality. And what if there was a being that could perceive or know what would have happened had you made that other choice that you didn't make? Or maybe when you made that other choice, you would have been faced with other choices. You could choose between, I don't know, coconut milk latte and a black coffee or something. And that choice that you didn't get to make because you're here, those two choices would have also spun off other possibilities. And what would a being be like who could perceive every single choice every single person made and every single choice every single person didn't make and every single choice they would have made based on the choices they didn't make, like we're talking about an infinite number of possibilities. That Being would be the ultimate reality, would be what we call God. God is not an object in our universe. God is not a being that we can categorize. Like, all of us fit into categories. We're humans, there's chairs, there's benches, there's cars. Like, everything in our universe can be put into some category with other things. But this being that kind of stands beyond and is incomprehensible to our finite minds is in its own category. And we're starting a series this morning talking about God, talking about the distinctly Christian understanding of God as Trinity. Because we believe not just that we can think about and ponder the possibilities of dimensions and parallel universes and what a God would be beyond that, but we believe that God has made himself known, revealed himself, and that we can not understand God completely, of course, but we can understand God a little bit. But even within that, like Christian thinkers through the ages in the Bible uh, have talked about how God is beyond our understanding. Isaiah the prophet, in a, in a book hundreds of years before Jesus, says, or God speaking to Isaiah, says, to whom will you compare me or who is my equal? And you can look at thinkers through the ages who have said things like... Uh, God is incomprehensible and above all things. God cannot be grasped by the intellect, the imagination, or any other sense. God is absolutely greater than our reason, utterly strange to our imagination. God is incomprehensible. You can't fit the Almighty into your intellectual categories. At the same time, this series, we're talking about the Trinity. And Christians believe that even though God is incomprehensible and beyond our understanding that we can't help but we we have to say something. We talk. We're human beings who have language and talk. And Christians believe that there is one God who exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Maybe if you've been around church for a while, you've heard that. Uh, maybe if you haven't been around church for a while, you've heard that, at least driven past a church that might have Trinity in their name or something. But when it comes to the one God part, like, That's something that our Jewish and Muslim friends, other people that believe in God, are kind of tracking with us. Like, yeah, they believe we all can agree that there's there's one God. But it's when we Christians get a little bit wacky and start talking about how, like, Jesus was born of a Virgin Mary in the city of Nazareth, the town of Nazareth, thousands of years ago, and he he was a human being, but yet he was also God in the flesh. And how does that work? Or there's this Holy Spirit that's not just like a spirit with a little s that you might think about if you watch a horror movie and spirits like haunt people or something. But there's like the Holy Spirit, an individual person who in some way lives in among us in some mysterious way. And somehow we take God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and one plus one plus one equals one. One. That's why the series is going to be titled Fuzzy Math, because for those of you who went to school, one plus one plus one usually doesn't equal one. But somehow, some mysterious way, when we talk about God, we take God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and still say there's one God. And it's not like each of these three persons is one-third of God. We believe that Jesus and the Spirit and the Father are fully 100% 100% God. And again, that's why the math is so fuzzy. So if it doesn't make sense, that's okay, because it really doesn't. I mean, it's not like we're gonna, you're going to leave here and understand everything. Because again, even in Trinity, God revealing himself, it's still mysterious. It's still uncom- incomprehensible. And after three weeks, hopefully you'll understand maybe a little bit more. But no, no, no one fully understands it. We're going to talk about Father... Next week, Tim will do son, the week after that will be spirit. And again, even though it helps to talk about father, son, and spirit in that way, dividing them up, we do that remembering that God is only father because Jesus is son. You can't talk about one without talking about all three. All that to say, have your questions ready. You can text them into that number, be ready to throw a hand up, ask some good ones at the end. Uh, We'll be ready for them as best we can. So this morning, we're talking about God the Father specifically. And we believe, as Christians, that Jesus reveals to us who God is. We believe that Jesus is the human face of God, is the Son of God. And because Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus calls God Father, which is already in and of itself a little confusing. I'm going to read one passage of Scripture from the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John is the fourth biography of Jesus in the New Testament. And this is Jesus talking about his own relationship to God the Father. He says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So again, you have Jesus, the Son, who we believe is God, but he's talking to God, and how does that work? So trying to think of a way to illustrate this, uh, there was a book written about, I don't know, a decade ago called The Shack. Maybe some of you read it, some of you heard about it. And it was a best selling book, a surprise bestseller. It wasn't expected to be a bestseller. The author wasn't known, but it took off and, and lots of people read it. Recently they made a movie adaptation about it, and in preparation for this, I thought I should give that movie a watch. The book's better, the book's always better. But uh it really does, I think, a pretty decent job, as decent as anything can, of sort of illustrating, helping to think about this idea of Trinity. It's the story of a man named Mac who loses his youngest daughter. Tragically, uh, she's kidnapped and and killed in the beginning of the story. He blames God for this happening, and about three years later, he receives a letter in his mailbox inviting him to go to the shack, the place where his daughter was killed, and to spend a weekend with God, like the letter is addressed from God. Well, of course, he's skeptical, but it's addressed in such a way, uh, using language God calls himself Papa, something that only mac's wife did something that nobody would know mac decides maybe this really is from god and he goes up to the shack and surprisingly god shows up as a father son and spirit and we're going to show a clip from this now i think again it really does a pretty decent job of starting to illustrate or helping us think about what it means for god to be trinity
1: see Allen Phillips. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Mm. <laughs> my, my, my. Look at you. Do I know you? Not very well, but we can work on that. I've been so looking forward to this. To finally see you face to face. <laughs> Can I take your coat? And that gun. We wouldn't want anyone to get hurt now, would we? I understand. It's confusing. We all do. We will do this on your terms and time. How about some introductions? I'm Alusia. I have a lot of names but that's one of my favorites. Or if you want you can call me what Nan does. You know Nan. Oh yes. Very well. You saying that you're I am the I am. I am that I am. <laughs> I already quoting scripture, and you bet my son. Great ready to see you, Mac. Your son? Of course.
0: And, um, son, are you?
1: Sarah who? <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, it means a breath of wind.
0: So if you ever, the one one of the things about the movie that uh, is kind of irritating as you watch the whole thing is that the guy, um, Mac, throughout the movie sounds like Christian Bale from Batman Begins the whole time. like I don't know if that's a directing thing or if it was just his choice, but it gets to be a little distra- distracting. Other than that, I, I would recommend this movie to people. Um, but the book was, when it first came out, and the movie likewise, uh, was controversial to... Some Christians, when they read it and heard of it, and maybe you can guess why. Uh, in this scene, throughout the story, God the Father appears to Mac as a black woman. And some people didn't like that idea. The, uh, this same scene in the book does a better job of explicitly explaining why uh, this is so in the story. And it kind of makes sense if you think about it. When we think about God, we all bring images to mind. We can't help but do so. We are visual people, we think of God, we think of something. And those of us who are white men of European descent tend to think of God as a white old guy with a beard and long flowing white hair or something. God as a black woman, Papa in the story, she says to Mac that basically the reason she appears like this is to disarm him, to confront his presuppositions and to bring him to a place where he can be ready to hear the message that God wants him to hear. Basically, God—if just God showed up the way Mac expected—it would be harder for Mac to be able to listen to what God has to say. And I don't think this is something that should be offensive to us because all of our images are imperfect. The Sistine Chapel was a beautiful painting, but God in that picture—with the, again the white hair, the beard—that's not what God really looks like. God is not male or female. God is not. Uh, Any of those things. God is beyond all of that. But at the same time, uh, we can't help. Again, we we image God. We think in our mind. We speak of God. We use terminology. We use pronouns. We use metaphors. This is just what we do as humans. We can't really get away from it. No metaphor for God is exclusive. We need a lot of descriptions of God to even begin to paint a picture of who God is. And if you look throughout the Bible, I mean, there's tons of different ways God is described. God is described as king. God is described as lord. God is talked about as sitting on a throne. God is uh, wearing a robe. God has a powerful arm. God is a rock. But we don't believe that God is literally a rock. We don't believe that if we send a spaceship into outer space, it'll crash into the bottom of God's throne room eventually. At least that spaceship that passed Pluto hasn't yet. Um, I don't think it's going to either because God's not out there in the universe that we can travel in a spaceship to his throne room. These are all images that help us paint a picture. And in the same way, God the Father, it's a metaphor. It's a really helpful one because we believe that Jesus is the one through whom we approach God. And Jesus used Father as primary language for God. It's become one of the primary ways, if not the primary way, Christians think about God. We use God the Father a lot. It's in, if you go to a church that recites creeds, I mean, it's in the creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty. But some Christians, some theologians, some people through the ages, especially nowadays, have seen problems with referring to God the Father. They see it as sometimes um, favoring masculinity, favoring men, at the expense of femininity and women. And they're not necessarily wrong. Throughout the ages, we can see in history, some men have used God the Father in such a way to have power over other people. There's been divisions between if God is Father and men are good, then women must be less than evil. And God and men need to rule and have power over, over women. So it's it's a metaphor that has a long history. It's also a metaphor that can bring up negative feelings in a lot of people. Theologian Sally McFaig uh, has a really good quote about this. She says, In almost all religions, Father is, for good reason, a dominant model, and given Jesus' reliance on it as an expression of his own experience of God, it is bound to be central in Christianity. Its growth, however, into patriarchalism, a system fostering male superiority at all levels of personal and public life, is a serious perversion of Jesus' understanding of the Father and utterly opposed to the root metaphor of Christianity, which is against all worldly hierarchies. What she's saying is, God the Father is not by itself a problem. And some people say it is, but she's not saying it is. She's saying the problem is what people have done with this metaphor, how people have taken this idea and used it for their own personal power and personal gain. She even says that Doing, it, doing that is, is a perversion of what Jesus understood when he spoke of God as Father. So the problem isn't using this terminology. The problem is when we forget that it's a metaphor. Because metaphors have both similarity to the thing they are describing and also differences. And if we forget that God the Father is a metaphor, we forget that there are similarities and differences, and we just start to transport all of our understandings of Father, whether positive or negative, into that, We start to miss what it is meant to be. And she says it's a perversion again of Jesus' understanding of the Father. And I think if we go back and read, and there's way too many scriptures to read in one morning, but if we look at the way that Jesus interacted with God the Father when he was in his earthly life, then we see better what Father is meant to be. I'm just going to read one of the many scriptures possible. This comes from Romans chapter 8, verse 15. And Romans is a letter written to some early Christians uh, instructing them on how to live in in the faith. And 8.15 says the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry Abba Father. So this is talking about how uh, Jesus is the son of God and and through Jesus, put your faith in Jesus you're adopted into the family of God. You become just as Jesus is a son, you become a son or daughter of God. And the terminology here Abba is really cool because uh, it's a it's a word that had this connotation that wasn't, it wasn't used much by normal people. Uh, we have Father's Day as kind of a formal thing. It's, it's a holiday. It's a way we talk in, in formal terms. But back, and back then, we, we might use dad as a more informal way of talking about our father, our parent. And the same way, Abba was a word that was mostly used by children to speak to their, to their fathers. It was a word that had very intimate and loving connotations. I just think of my kids. Whether I'm, if I leave the house for like, I don't know, 10 minutes or a week, and then I come home, they go nuts. Daddy! And they run to the door and they give me a hug and they jump on me. And they want me to sit down, they want to play trains or, or dolls or read a book or build a puzzle. Like, there's a love, there's a trust, there's a relationship there that is much, much deeper than just this dominating kind of negative view of father, and I think if we look at Jesus and the way he talks about Father, that's what he's getting at. Not God is this, like, do what I say because I said so, or you're going to get in trouble and I'm going to smack you if you get out of line, but God is this intimate, loving parent who wants to know you and love you. And what's interesting is that we don't talk about it much, as, in, in at least in Christian churches I've been a part of, but throughout the Bible, there are... A number of, of feminine images used to describe God, which might be surprising to some of us. But in some ways, the, I think the image we get of Jesus in his intimate relationship with Father goes along well with some of these more feminine images of God. Uh, in the prophet Isaiah, again, mentioned him earlier. Later on in his very long book in chapter 66, uh, God is speaking once again and says, As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. God is talking about how he is going to comfort his children, or even her children, dare we say, as a mother comforts her children. Another prophet named Hosea, uh, God is speaking again in this book, and says, To them I was like the one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. That's imagery of a very intimate, the very intimate act of nursing a child. And God is saying that in the same way I love my children, it's like this nursing mother loving her children. So we think about God as father. The challenge is not to describe that father as a tyrant or a ruthless parent, but to describe this father to help us see that imagery pointing to a deeper truth, I think, and that deeper truth being that God loves us like the best parent loves a child, that God has an intimate desire and love for us. And when we think about the Trinity then, God's love as Father gives us, I think, a window into the inner life of the Trinity apart from us as humans. God was loving, God was love, even before we were created. Another passage of scripture comes from a book called 1 John, that's a letter in the New Testament, and simply says, God is love, which is probably something we've all said, but it's actually in the Bible. God is love. And Richard Rohr, who is a a writer, uh, I think he's a priest, he says, for God to be good, God can be one. For God to be loving, God has to be two, because love is always a relationship. And what he's saying is, that we say God is love. It's not that God existed, then God created us, and then since God loved us, God like became love. But God, by definition, is love apart from us. And for that to be true, it's almost like we have to have some sort of Trinitarian idea that God is a relationship of a father loving a son, loving a spirit, loving a father. This intimate relationship already existed. That's what has been here, the ultimate reality from all eternity, God as love. Just touching once again, though, on, on, on God as Father and, and pondering a little bit more of the question then for our practical lives, like, must we call God Father? Is that a requirement? And I personally think that since Jesus kind of made that normative that we come to God through Jesus that Jesus is our model for what it looks like to live in relationship with God. And since Jesus referred to Father, I think that's traditionally the most helpful way for us to refer to God. But at the same time, I recognize that not all fathers are good. And there's probably people, maybe in this room, who have really negative experience of father. Maybe the idea of calling God Father just makes us cringe, brings up memories, is something that doesn't really draw us closer to God, but even may push some people away from God. And my personal thought is that if that's you and referring to God as Father doesn't help you, if you're in a place where you want to pray God the mother, I personally don't think that's like the end of the world. But I'm sure if you disagree, there's time for questions at the end. So, God exists eternally as a loving relationship. God is love before even creation. God is love of Father, Son, and Spirit Acting together as love. And God then exists for us as a loving relationship, as our father, mother, friend, savior, creator, whatever metaphor you want to add on to that. So from that, when I grew up in church, and I have met a lot of Christians, and even people who aren't Christians who think the same way, God as Trinity becomes this thing that we kind of check a box. We acknowledge it. Like, the church I grew up in was actually called Trinity Church. It's something that we know as Christians that we're supposed to believe if we don't understand it. It's something that we know maybe makes us different than people of other religions. But it really doesn't do much for our daily life. Like, we can still love our neighbor or do the campaign or be kind to people, and the Trinity kind of give or take. And one of the things that... uh, when Tim and I talked about these, this, this sermon, we really want to help get over that idea. Because if this is who God is, and if God created us, it isn't just some esoteric thing that we believe to be difficult in like interreligious dialogue, but it should play out in our life. And one way I've seen this in my life, as I've reflected on and meditated on the Trinity, is simply in 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 living morally. Like when I was young, and... I think a lot of times I had the idea that God commanded things. So do this, don't do that. And if you say why, the answer was, well, because that's what God said. So God was kind of like that parent, and we've all said this to our kids. Like, don't do that. Well, why not? Because I said so. And I'm the dad, darn it. Like, listen, like there's no explanation needed other than I said so. And we start to think, like I thought for a long time, that's why that was the answer. God says, Go do this thing, or or don't do that thing. Well, why? Because I said so. Or oh, and if you don't listen, you're gonna get judged and punished and kick you know, I'm gonna kick your butt. And as I thought and reflected on Trinity, it's shifted how I understand the why to those questions. Because if if, if God is relationship of love as one of the core self-defining qualities, if, if understanding God's relationship of love is one of the things that we can say about an incomprehensible, infinite being that is beyond understanding, but as that being has taken pains to become revealed to us, one of the things we feel we can say is that God is love, that changes things. Because then, if that's what the universe is like, if the universe is, is built on this relational loving God, then when we show love to others, when we enter into a relationship with God, it's not just a sort of, why should I do this because I said so, but it's more, if you want to live a fully flourishing life, if you want to live into the person you are meant to be, the way to do that is to live in relationship with God and then also in relationship with others. I came across a book this week uh, called Social by a scientist named Matthew Lieberman. Uh, I actually started to read it, hoping to get some good stuff for the sermon. It's really fascinating. I recommend it, um, but it's beyond what we can talk about much. But he does say that I think is really helpful uh, that scientists are finding as they study the human brain and neuroscience and evolution, all these different things, that our need for social interaction, our need for relationships, is as vital to us as our need for food and water. Like one of the things he actually says early in the book, he talks about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how, maybe you've seen that before if you remember from school or something, like at the bottom is your need for food and water and then as, as you get that need met, you can get other like higher needs. And he basically says the one thing Maslow missed is that human infants can't feed themselves. So our need for relationships is actually the thing at the bottom because we need other people in our lives from the very beginning to even get anything else. He says, we are profoundly shaped by our social environment and that we suffer greatly when our social bonds are threatened or severed. In other words, this idea that we get it from the trinity of God as relationship and how that God has built the universe with relationship and love kind of at the foundation of it and that we can fully become humans as we live that way. We're seeing that even some these scientific studies are showing the same thing, that 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 really is something we should expect. Relationship and love and social connections are needed if we want to flourish. So I just want to wrap up with two ways, two kind of paths of what that looks like. The first one being that we flourish when we are in relationship with God. That when we come into knowing Jesus and kind of enter into the dance of the Trinity. And what this doesn't mean is that we start to know a lot more about God. Like, I think sometimes it's tempting. I've had times in my life where it was like, if I can just read another book, if I can just take another class or watch another video or listen to another podcast, and, and I have this question, and there's an answer out there, and I'll just know everything, and I won't have to, like, doubt or struggle anymore. And it doesn't work like that. There's a difference between knowing God and knowing about God. If you have a friend and you want to know that person, you don't just like learn a lot about them, their height, their weight, but you actually spend time with them. And the same thing goes with God as Trinity. One of the things this means is we need a good dose of humility because, again, God is incomprehensible and mysterious. And yes, God comes to us and we think we might be able to, we might be able to say a few things about God. But it doesn't mean that we can just know everything. Like it's very tempting again to, and and you can see this on any news show. You want to turn on a news show and there's a hot button issue and there's two different people arguing and they're both giving God's perspective on whatever the hot button issue is and usually God tends to agree with whatever their position is and they're both very confident. And I don't think that's what God is for. God doesn't give us this kind of like, now we're right about everything and can know everything. But instead of knowing a lot about God, we are able to enter into a relationship with God and know God personally. A great quote that I think exemplifies this comes from uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. He talks about what it looks like to, to pray with the Trinity in mind. He says, an ordinary simple Christian kneels down to say his prayers. He is trying to get in touch with God. But if he is a Christian, he knows that what is prompting him to pray is also God. God, so to speak, living inside of him. He also knows that all of his real knowledge about God comes through Christ, the man who was God. That Christ is standing beside him, helping him to pray, praying for him. You see what is happening. God is the thing inside of him which is pushing him on the motive power. God also is the road or bridge along which he is being pushed to that goal. So that the whole threefold life of the three-personal being is actually going on in that little ordinary bedroom, where an ordinary man is saying his prayer. The man is being caught up into the higher kind of life. He is being pulled into God, by God, while still remaining himself. In other words, we can join the eternal dance through prayer, through worship, through faith. And I love the idea of dance as an a- analogy for the Trinity. Because if you've ever watched like Dancing with the Stars or seen people dancing who are really good at it, it's like, well, there's... there's two of them, there's this polarity there, but there's also like a oneness to that. And I think the cool thing about Lewis's quote of praying in the Trinity is that there's this like God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Spirit, this, this relationship, this movement, this dance, and it's not just that we, again, have to obey God because God said so, but we can kind of enter into that dance and be caught up in the flow, caught up in the excitement and the action of what God is doing in the world. As we do that, as we enter into relationship with God, we also make relationship with others a priority in our lives. Trinity points us, again, if God is relationship and relationships are built into this universe, that means that making relationships with other people important is a vital part of what it means to be a person of God. And I want to share another quote from Rohr talking about um, how the Trinity kind of affects our view of relationships. He says one of the most wonderful things I find in this naming of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is its affirmation that there is an intrinsic plurality to goodness. God isn't sameness. God's goal, it seems to me, is the same in creation. It is the making of persons, not the making of a uniform mob, which means there is clear diversity and a kind of what I'm going to call open-endedness in all of nature, not uniformity. In the eternal scheme of things, we discover that all God wants from you is you. Sometimes when we think, like, if God was one and, like, God being one, unity is important. Relationships are important. We want to know people. And we see that, again, in God being one. But there's a temptation sometimes to make that other person just like us. And by remembering that God is also three, that God is also separateness, that there's a space there between Father, Son, and Spirit, reminds us that as much as unity and relationships are really important, whatever that looks like doesn't look like creating carbon copies or clones of other people. It's this idea that I want to know you, I want to be in relationship with you, but I want to also leave you the space to be you and for you to leave me the space to be me. And in that space is the relationship between us, and that, to me, is imaged in the Trinity. And finally, making relationship with others a central part of who we are is to me one of the reasons why CoinOS does the campaign. And I'm going to end with one more plug for it because I think it ties in and I think it's really important. Since God is relationship, since God is a relationship of love that overflows into this world that we can be part of and we can see other people being a part of, we recognize that God is mysterious and incomprehensible and working in ways that we may not even begin to understand. But we also then realize that any little act, any little thing we do, can make a pretty huge difference in the world. So as, as you go to do the campaign this week, if you're able to take part in that, we don't know what amazing things the Holy Spirit, God the Trinity, can bring out of this. Someone may open their door and get one of those pamphlets And for the first time in their life, maybe they've gotten one seven years in a row, however many years we've done it. But for the first time, they're like, you know what, I'm going to donate this week. And that may just be a little shift in their life that puts them on a trajectory to become a more generous and giving person. Or who knows, maybe someone will will open the door and get that pamphlet and she'll find the courage to seek help herself. And of course, we always remember that on Saturday when we gather all those things on Saturday, we're going to donate them a lot of people are going to be affected in positive ways for me God being Trinity is the fact that we're all connected we have a loving parent in heaven and that slipping flyers and doors can make big changes in the world so I'm going to add to the chorus of those who've gone before me and encourage you if you can this week to spend some time uh, doing the campaign But uh, I'm going to go ahead and say a prayer for us and uh, then we'll wrap up with one more song. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, beautiful morning. Uh, Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for creating this place where we all have a voice and we can ask questions and think about things and tackle challenging things. And I pray, Lord, that as you are just a perfect parent, that you would allow who you are to shape our understanding of who we should be. That we should never be I guess, content with our place with you, but that we should always be pursuing to know you more, just as we pursue to know those closest to us more every day. Uh, I pray we would continue to be respectful and loving of one another and where each other are is on the journey. And may we all come into relationship deeper with you and with one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.